Who knows? Does anybody know how many churches there are in San Diego County? One. One. Nick knew the secret answer. That's right. There is one church in San Diego. There is one church in the world. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 4, says there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love unity, uh, but Jesus loves it even more. He has united us together as the people of God in Christ. And not only with one another, if you're part of this local congregation, but also with his body, his church throughout all places and all time even. As we sang about earlier, there are saints that have gone before us that are singing today in heaven as we worship God. There are saints here today from Brazil. There are, uh, there are people all around the world praising God uh, as part of one church. And so this morning, in, uh, as a celebration of that, uh, God has, has led us to invite a pastor of another local congregation here in town called Restored Church, Restored San Diego, uh, Brad Sarian. Is it Sarian? Am I saying it correctly? I don't know if I've ever said it out loud. Uh, but Brad has, is becoming a, a friend of ours, and Restored Church has been extremely generous to us as a people. Whether you know it or not, they've provided access for us to go to some training for free um, and some other ways. They've just poured out generously uh, the gospel love toward us as a church. Uh, so we've invited Brad today to come and share from his heart and from his life and from the scriptures Uh, about sharing our lives with the people in our neighborhoods and sharing the gospel with the people in our neighborhoods. So if you would welcome Brad, he's going to come and share from the gospel with us. Sweet. Thank you so much. Uh, It really is just a privilege to be here. Uh, Our our church is in Normal Heights, so we're not very far away. Um, And and I love uh, just connecting with local churches, uh, being able to be here and and preach from the word. Hello, some intro music. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pray, and then I, we'll just we'll just dive on in. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your grace. We thank you for loving us so much. I uh, thank you for um, just the the privilege it is to be here to to minister to your people um, and, and really just be able to talk about you, point one another to you. You are uh, you're the point of this morning. You're the point. Uh, of, of all things. So we love you. We ask for your grace this morning as we listen, that you would, Holy Spirit, transform our hearts uh, and, and lead us lead us to you, Christ. In your beautiful name, amen. Um, stoked to be here. My name is Brad Sarian. I am a pastor with another church, um, but, but really do have, over the last few months, been able to hang out with some of the pastors here, and it's been fun kind of getting to know them and, and hanging out. And every once in a while, they're in my hood in Kensington at the Starbucks. Um, so I, I love seeing those guys. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, and then we'll, we'll jump in just so you know a little bit about me. Uh, I was born into a, a family that went to a Lutheran church. Uh, so from day one, uh, I just went to church every single Sunday. Uh, the church services were very boring. I hated every minute of it. Every single Sunday morning, I pretended I was sleeping or sick. And it never worked out. My parents, like for some reason, they understood that I was just lying to them. Uh, but I just lay there as long as possible. And my mom would drop the line every Sunday. If you don't get dressed now, we're going to take you to church naked. 
Um, so that was, that was more scary to me as a little kid uh, than just my, my wanting to stay at home. Um, but, but I was just a natural rule follower other than not wanting to go to church. I just always followed the rules. Uh, so the church game worked out pretty well for me. Uh, my, my other brothers weren't much of rule followers, and, and they're kind of all over the place. But I was just a rule follower. Tell me, tell me what to do, um, and I'm going to do it. My mom told me uh, a story when I was four years old. I went to a birthday party, uh, pre-K friends of, of mine, and, and she kind of just dropped me off at the party and took off. And the house was in a cul-de-sac, and the whole party was out in the street in the cul-de-sac. They had the, the bouncer, and they were playing basketball and all these things. Um, she came back two and a half hours later and I was sitting on the curb because my mom taught me I'm not allowed to go in the street. So the entire party was out in the street the entire time, but I didn't join in on the party because mom told me I'm not allowed to go out into the street. So I was very just black and white. Hey, you tell me yes, no, I'll do it. Um, and that kind of just led into what you would imagine just a very legalistic perspective on God. God, you tell me don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't look at bad things be nice, go to church, these things. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing these things, therefore I'm justifying myself before God. Um, and, and ultimately, at 18 years old, uh, really just wanting to please God as much as I could. You know, uh, I was just a very moral kid. Didn't touch alcohol uh, until I was 21. I didn't have sex until I was married. Um, didn't watch dirty movies. I mean, I just like, and it wasn't because I was holy. It was because I was afraid God's going to send me to hell. Like that, that was the reason why. Um, but in my heart, I really did look down on others. Uh, I was really convinced I was better than everybody else. So at 18, I was trying to figure out, okay, what could I do in life that would be the best thing? Like, like what would God love most? And obviously, God loves pastors more than everyone else. Uh, so I decided to be a pastor. That's a joke. Calm down. Um, so I decided I'm going to be a pastor, and I'm, you know, I'm going to get God to love me as much as he can. So I, I started at 18, started preaching to junior high students, uh, just preaching the law, beating the mess out of kids. Be better. Obey your parents. Listen to your parents. Like your brothers and sisters. I mean, just beating them down week after week. Uh, two years of that, uh, it, it began getting pretty heavy on my own soul. It was really hard just to deal with because I wasn't that good when God would give me glimpses into my own soul. Um, I knew that I wasn't actually doing the things I was telling others to do. Um, and at 20 years old, God brought two dudes into my life uh, that there were pastors at this mega church I was at, and they just started talking about the gospel a lot. And I, I, I was very concerned about these two guys. Um, I mean, the gospel's for immature new believers, and here they are as pastors talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus a lot. I'm like, what's wrong with these guys? Um, like, don't they know that... That we've moved on from the gospel. That kind of gets you into the door. But now we just read our Bibles and pray and, you know, just put our hands in our pockets and very sad about life. Like, why are they excited? Why are they excited about Jesus? Um, and one day, uh, at 20 years old, my buddy Bobby, he, he's telling me about Jesus' unconditional love. Um, and, and I got saved. I got saved at 20 years old. I'd been in ministry for two years preaching. Um, and that flipped my life upside down. It, it flipped everything upside down because I had heard of the concept of grace, right? I mean, I had even taught grace. I wasn't a heretic. Like I, I technically I was, but I, I had heard of grace. I could preach a message on grace that most Christians would be like, huh, that was good. But I had never experienced grace. And more importantly, I had never believed in grace. I could tell you about God's undeserving love towards us 
But ultimately, I really believed that I deserved His love. I I believed I deserved it because I was good. I didn't do the bad things that other people did. I I climbed that ladder up to heaven. So, So grace at 20 years old transformed my life. And as you can imagine, that was a very confusing thing for a lot of people. A lot of the leaders in the church, a lot of my family. I'm like, hey, I just got saved. They're like, you've been preaching the Bible for two years. I'm like... I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, this is wild. But, but ultimately, that's what God did in my life. And as a result of that, I just was like, okay, I had read this book tons of times. How did I just get saved? How, how did the gospel just make sense to me today? And it hasn't for the last 20 years. So I began reading the Bible with a new lens. And I'm going, what have I been missing this entire time? What, what have I been missing? And one of the most striking things that I missed was while reading through the gospels, seeing the people Jesus hung out with. Oh, it wrecked me. It absolutely wrecked me because I thought I was like Jesus at 18 and 19 years old. Honestly, I thought I was more like Jesus than most people. But then I started reading about Jesus with a new lens going, okay, who is he really? Take away my baggage. Who is this guy really? And he hangs out with a lot of prostitutes and tax collectors. He hangs out with the social outcasts. The sinners. I didn't have any friends that were sinners. I didn't have any friends that weren't Christians. Because I was taught growing up, holy people stay away from unholy people. Christians stay away from people that might lead them into sin. So the idea of being holy is kind of go up to to Hume Lake, stay up on the mountaintop for as long as you can. No offense if you're from there. Uh, But to stay away. Stay away from non-Christians. Because they might get you. And then I'm looking at Jesus and I'm like, all he did was hang out with non-Christians. And not just like, oh, like nice non-Christians. I mean, he hung out with those that the religious people wouldn't talk to. He hung out with the the, the people that were so shady that when they're talking to Jesus, the religious people are like, oh, he has no idea who he's talking to. Because if he knew, he wouldn't be talking to him. Little do they know, Jesus knows exactly who he's talking to. More than they know. Not only does Jesus know the outward, the external sins of the men and women, he knows the internal sins of the men and women he's talking to. And he pursues them. So at 20, my life had, had to change. I was like, wait, what is the deal here? Why, why, am, why does my life look nothing like Jesus's? Why don't I have friends that don't know Jesus? And I really believe that those first 20 years of my life were so much about me and my self-righteousness that non-Christians would never want to spend any time with me. I never would have said, hey, I'm better than you, but all my actions played itself out that way. Uh, I never I never would have said, hey, I can't really spend the weekend with you because you might get drunk and I'm not allowed to do that. But there was a reason why I'd never been invited to a party. <laughs> like, like, it's just true. So what I want to do today is kind of unpack this idea of building relationships with non-Christians. And I know that sounds crazy, uh, but it's all throughout the scriptures. And here's the cool thing. If you're not a Christian in the room, you're like... On the inside of the locker room, right before the team's plan, their the big strategy. But here's the good news. The strategy isn't to beat you. The strategy is to win you to Christ. And, and as, as Christians here, 
We have, we have nothing to gain from God by loving you and pursuing you because we're saved by grace. Every other religion in the world is going to come after you so that they can get brownie points to God. Christianity is the only religion, the only worldview that comes after you and goes, you just have to know Him. There's nothing in it for me. I'm not, I'm not going to be saved more. I'm not going to have more fun in heaven. I'm not going to be any better off. I just need you to experience how good He is. That's why we want you to know who Jesus is. So as I wanted to be a pastor, um, ultimately to gain God's love, at 20 get saved and go, now I just want to be a pastor so I can proclaim to the masses, as many people that will, I ever can come in contact with, just tell them about this grace. And, and as I continue studying the scriptures, um, it turns out that, that having relationships with non-Christians is, is not just a cool thing, it's actually a qualification for elders and pastors. So join me in 1 Timothy 3 real quick. I know this might sound kind of crazy. Some of you are like, I'm not a pastor. Um, here's, here, at the end of the day, these qualifications for pastors aren't for like a special elite. They're for everyone, things that we should be growing in and ultimately desiring in. They are marks of mature Christians, okay? And if you know your pastors well enough, um, you'll know that, that they are not perfect in any of these things, but they are repenting in these things and running to Jesus in all of these things. So, so, so this list in here, I want to just chew on for a little bit, because whether or not you're a pastor or you want to be a pastor, these are things that all Christians should be desiring and moving towards. Okay. Um, now, 1 Timothy 3 is Paul the Apostle. He's writing to his boy. Uh, Timothy, and just kind of giving him some, some qualifications. Hey, as you're planting churches at the church you're at, um, here's what needs to be the, the, the pattern of the men who are leading this church. Okay, so he unpacks a ton, but I want to just chew on the last two verses in this section. Verse 6, 1 Timothy 3. Paul says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, be non-Christians, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I mean, at 20, it's verses like that that just started to rock me. I mean, I don't know any non-Christians. So this idea of, I thought I was going to be the best pastor in the world, best Christian in the world, because I was so holy and so righteous in and of myself. And Paul goes, you can't be a pastor unless non-Christians like you. And, and do you see why? So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This isn't like, hey, that would be a cool idea. Like, just have, have non-Christians like you. He says, if they don't like you, you're going to fall into a trap of Satan. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, I started really chewing on that verse, going like, what does this mean? I mean, this is wild. And as I chewed on it and, and kind of processed it, prayed through it, I ultimately think, I'm convinced that what Paul's laying out here is that if you're not well thought of by outsiders, non-Christians, it's because you're so puffed up on pride and so amazed by your own deeds that non-Christians want nothing to do with you. And Satan loves it. Satan loves pride. 
See, man, that, that's been his snare since the beginning with Adam and Eve. Hey, do you want to be like God? He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Eat this fruit. Then you'll know what is good and, and bad. I mean, Satan wants to puff us up. He wants us to be so consumed with ourselves that we don't even care about the world. We don't care about anyone else but ourselves. And that's the snare, I believe, that this we can fall into if non-Christians don't like us. Now, I'm not saying, hey, you know, you need to get non-Christians to like you, so go to the bars and get drunk, and then they'll like you. That's great. But what I am saying is this. Men and women will be drawn to you to the extent that you understand that you are saved by God's grace alone. Men and women who are saved by God's grace do not walk with a swagger. Men and women who are saved by God's grace alone do not look down on anyone. They serve. They're humble. They, they, they see others as better than themselves. They're looking out for the interests of others. And the only way this can be true is if you get that the God of the universe rescued you, not because of anything you've done, but only because of what Christ has done for you. The reality of that is that sinks into your soul. You will be loved by the world. And now hear me. I know some of you Bible scholars are like, well, you know, if the world loves you, then you're doing something wrong. I, I believe that is true. And, and what we've seen with our neighbors as we proclaim the gospel and we demonstrate it, they like when we demonstrate it. They like us as a couple. They like our little family. When we start talking about Jesus, then some of them get a little upset. But at the end of the day, they walk away and they're like, ah, I still like them. I hate what they talk about. But I like hanging out with them. Anytime Jesus comes up. I mean, we'll, we'll have relationships with some of our neighbors. And like, you'll just see. Like, they, it starts getting a little tense when Jesus starts coming up. And it's like, they're trying to change the subject. And I'm like, ah, we're going here. We're, we're going. I, I, I see where you're trying. No, no, we're going here. Because I love you too much not to tell you about Jesus. I, I love you too much. I know your deep need for him. Why? Because my deep need is the same. And it's not something I've moved on from. It's something I'm moving deeper into. I need more and more of His grace. And I'm seeing everyone else does too. So I'm calling all of us into this. 1 Corinthians 5.12, Paul says that we are not to judge those who are outside the church. We're allowed to judge each other. We're, as brothers and sisters, we're allowed to call each other out on sin. That, that kind of judging. I'm allowed to pull my brother aside and go, Hey bro, um, I see this pattern in your life and I love you too much to keep doing that. We don't get to call non-Christians out on their sins. We don't get to judge them. Because their eyes have not been opened to the grace of Jesus. But a lot of times, non-Christians feel judged by Christians. Do you know why? Because Christians judge non-Christians. They do. Oh, he got drunk again. Okay, I mean, I love him and I'm going to help get him home. But I'm not going, hey, bro, how dare you? I expect something different from you. No, we're, we're under two different kings. We're in two different kingdoms. 
And I promise you, if you don't have non-Christian friends who love you, examine your own heart. See where, maybe you aren't verbally judging them, but in here you are judging them. I heard a pastor recently say, you cannot share the gospel if you're jealous of the life the men and women are living outside the church. Are, are you jealous of them? Maybe you're judging them. How, how, how dare they get drunk and hook up with that guy? Is, maybe you would never say it, but is that more appealing than Jesus? To you. Oh man, he got another promotion because he's lying and stealing. Do you, do you judge him or, or is it because maybe in here you actually wish you had that instead of Jesus? And if so, let's, let's repent together, man. We're all wicked. I mean, we all have thoughts like that. I didn't just come up with those like, these are two crazy things. <laughs> like, I, let me think of the craziest things I could ever think of, man. Examine your hearts. See where there's truth and lies that are just so deceiving. So, so what I want to do today is I just want to continue unpack the gospel and then get real practical with us. What's this look like? Living on mission. Jesus in John 20, 21. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He's talking to his disciples. I used to think that missionaries went over there. Africa, China, Asia. That's where missionaries go. Um, Jesus says, I've sent you. That's the definition of a missionary. Is someone who's been sent. If you're a believer in this room, you have been sent. And by God's grace, you've been sent to San Diego right now. Maybe not forever, but right now you are missionaries to San Diego. And I plead with you to see your life like that. Please. San Diego has as many people that don't know Jesus as pretty much anywhere else in the world. I mean, we've got a little bit of Christian baggage background and people think they know. I have still yet, still yet to meet a non-Christian who could verbalize the gospel clearly. They'll tell you all about the rules that they've been told. But I've never heard it explained very clearly with the grace and love of Jesus Christ. I never have. Because I, I believe that message is irresistible. I really do. And I don't think many people know it. So, um, uh, I, I've spent quite a bit of time. Um, we live in Kensington, as I said. We're on that map right over there by Talmadge. Uh, just a cool little neighborhood. My wife and I moved in. Ten months ago, God dragged us there. I literally can't explain it any other way. Uh, he just dragged us there. We're paying the same we we're paying for an apartment. And we have a house right on the strip of Adams in Kensington. I mean, it's just silly. Um, just silly. I, I couldn't even... I was in the Starbucks across the street and praying. And God's like, go outside now. I see a for rent sign. The guy's inside the house like, hey, come on in. It's like, okay, sweet. I walk in. I was like, what's the deal? Like seventeen fifty for the house, all utilities included. I was like, I'm, what? <laughs> okay. And he's like, yeah. I was like, how do I get this place? He's like, first one to fill out an application gets it. I was like, is anyone filling an application? No, we just put it up. Here's the application. I was like, all right, hope, hopefully my wife's cool with this. Um, <laughs> I signed that sucker out, man. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is, we had already re-signed our year lease. I mean, it was just crazy. It was our two-year anniversary that night. She didn't want to go with me that night to dinner. 
Uh, it was rough. It was a rough night, but it worked out in the long run. Uh, she was very happy when, we, when she saw the house. So, anyways, he, he, he took us to Kensington. I, I, I spend, we're a church plant. We don't have buildings either. Uh, we meet in an elementary school, but I live out of the Starbucks across the street from my house, from the seat I normally sit in. Um, I can see into my living room. Uh, it's just pretty crazy. Um, so, uh, being there, I've been very intentional. That's the missionaries are intentional, right? You don't just go to Africa and be like, what's going to happen? You're like, Hey, we're going to be intentional. We're going to pursue people. We're going to build relationships with people. We're going to share the gospel with people. We're going to demonstrate the gospel of people. So that's what we do in Kensington. Um, and, and in Starbucks, I become a regular to the baristas, hang out with the baristas. Uh, we hang out at the park across the street from our house a ton, build relationships with people like, um, that just, you know, young families. And um, I was hanging out at Starbucks a few weeks ago, and a guy, a Muslim guy, came in, and we've been talking. We, we, he's got a little kid, so we've been hanging out quite a bit. And I was just unpacking the gospel a little bit more to him. Um, and, and he said to me, he says, hey, as a Muslim, I, I just think this idea of grace is just too easy. And, and I was like, okay, tell me more. He's like, well, let me tell you. I just have to do this stuff. And then I'm good. I just have to pray five times a day. And, you know, I've got to fast this day. And I've got to do these things. Um, and, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, I, I just have to pray for this amount of time. And then I'm free. And grace just seems too easy, though, that you could just do whatever you want to do. And, and this is where I said, hey, let me, in a sense, grace is easy. It's the easiest thing in the world. But it's also the hardest thing in the world. Because what you're describing, man, my, my flesh longs for that. My flesh longs for a way to do a certain list of things and then stand before God and go, I'm justified. Look at me, God. I check the list off. And grace won't let you do that. Grace doesn't let you pray five times a day. Grace says pray without ceasing. I mean, Jesus is king over all of our lives. He's not just king over a few minutes in the morning and afternoon and evening. He's, he's not just king on certain days when we need to fast. He's king over it all. So in some senses it's easy because all I have to do is go, I'm a big mess up. Forgive me. But all oh, our flesh loves to work ourselves up to Christ. So, so it's stories like this where we're building relationships and we're learning how to apply the gospel to people. Um, and, and here's what I just want to do for, for the rest of the morning. Think right now who's God placed in your life who doesn't know Jesus and have them in mind as we, we finish this. Because all I want to do is get real practical for the rest of the morning uh, and just help us grow as more effective missionaries. Because as I said, John twenty twenty one makes it very clear. You're all missionaries. If you're Christians, you're all missionaries. You may just be an awful missionary. Okay? It's not like I'm a missionary, I'm not a missionary. It's like, no, you're either like a good, effective missionary for Christ's sake, or you're just an awful missionary. Like, those are the only two options if you're a Christian. It's not like, hey, I think I'm called to be a missionary. If you're debating whether or not you're called to be a missionary, you might as well debate whether or not you're called to be a Christian. Okay? We are sent ones. We, we, we are sent out by Christ, filled by His Holy Spirit. So... Let's get a little practical. Uh, I've got a few points um, that, that hopefully will help us uh, in, in, in our effectiveness as missionaries to San Diego. Uh, and, and my first one is prayer. I know that my practical in prayer. Yes. Prayer is the most practical thing we could ever do. 
We need to be praying for the non-Christians in our life. I promise you this. Please hear me. You will be able to see by the, the amount of time you spend praying for your friends who don't know Jesus, who do you think is actually the Savior? If you don't pray at all, I mean, if you don't pray at all for your friends to come to know Jesus, ultimately you're saying, I can do it. Salvation is of the Lord, my friends. It's not of us. We plead with the King of Kings. We plead with our Heavenly Father. Save. 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 Open eyes. Open hearts. Let there be opportunities for me to share the Gospel. Please, God. Please. I do not want to see Him one day and Him say, you, you did not have because you didn't ask. But my wife and I spend a chunk of time praying by name for the men and women who He's brought into our life. Every night, this is God save me and save, 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 save. I mean, they're all like right around our neighborhood and right around our home, so it's really easy. Like my window's like right next to Neil's. I'm like, God, please save Neil right here. Please save Therese, please save. I mean, they're just like right here. But I know that the times when I don't pray for them, I really think that I can just do things on my own and be really, you know, I'm real missional. I'm, I'm really effective in and of my own self. And please, brothers and sisters, hear me. Spend more time praying for your friends than you do thinking of new strategies. Thinking of new ways to engage them and love them and pursue them and serve them. Pray for them more. Because you can't save them. You just can't. You, did not, you were not saved by some other person. Only by Jesus. So, so we need prayer. I don't throw that out as like the Christian number one thing. Oh, we've got to throw out prayer before we get into the real stuff. I'm saying... We could just end on prayer. Pray. 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 It's a spiritual thing. This is not just a, a strategy thing. Join me in Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. Jesus is sending out uh, 72 of his disciples. Uh, and this has been a pretty key passage for our church, just as we've been growing um, as missionaries to San Diego. Uh, we really are new to this. We're not experts. Uh, I'm not a missiologist, as, as some guys take the title. I'm just not, man. I'm fumbling myself through this whole thing. I'm like, okay, God. Um, which is more fun, because when you see God save people, it's just like, I can't even, I can't even tell stories that are like, and then I did this. It's so like, and then I, I can't, I can't believe that happened. And then they got saved. It's like, whoa! Yeah, I mean, we've got stories in our church of one of the gals in our church is just awesome, just an evangelist, just has a gift from God. Um, and she, man, she wrecks things so often. She's like, I just cussed him out. I just cussed him out, but he's coming this morning. He's coming this morning, and, and I actually, the Bible I gave him. I went to his house and I took it back. I was so mad at him. I'm like, you did what? And then he got saved. All right. Ah, for, all right. That's just, okay. If you didn't believe that God elects people, I mean, like, okay. Well, I mean, it's just crazy stuff. But those are the stories that are coming out of our church. It's just like, man, 
We can't even put up videos of people laughing about like, what? But this, this passage uh, to us has been helpful and it's really pursuing people of peace. So Luke 10, um, Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you eat, enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So, this passage, um, I believe, is, is descriptive, uh, which means there's, there's descriptive text and there's prescriptive text in the Bible. Prescriptive is, is do this. The Bible says do it, we should do it in light of God's grace, in light of His love. Descriptive texts are just verses in the Bible where it just is describing what happens. Okay? When David commits adultery... That's not a prescriptive text. Hey, go do this. It's a descriptive text. It's going, hey, this happened. A lot of people read the Bible and they just think that it's a bunch of heroes. It's like, have you ever read the Bible? Like, like you cannot, you cannot. This is a book of one hero. His name's Jesus. Um, it's not about David. It's not about Moses. It's not about anybody. But this text itself, I believe, is descriptive. But hear me out. We can learn a whole lot of things from descriptive texts. And as a church, we've learned a whole lot from this thing. So there's a lot of cultural stuff in here that we don't do as a church. Uh, we don't just bang on people's doors and go, hey, can I come on in and stay for a little while? We don't do that. You might get shot. I don't know. Um, but back then, it was very common. You, you'd walk into it. You'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm traveling. Can I stay with you guys? And they'd be like, yeah. Hospitality was gnarly real back then. Like anybody, just strangers off the street, come on in, hang out. Not exactly San Diego, maybe some parts. Um, but, but so what we do from here is we take a few big concepts and it's really helped us because what we see is that there are two types of people. People who are open to the message of Jesus and people who are not. We believe that the people who are open to the message of Jesus are people of peace. And we as a church spend the bulk of our time pursuing these people. It's not that we discard these people, forget them, I don't hang out with them. No, we love and serve these people. But as finite human beings, I spend the majority of my resources, time, prayer, love on these people. Who are the people of peace in your life? Who are the people? I mean, literally, you can just go through it. They welcome you. They receive you. They serve you. They keep you. They recommend you to others. I mean, this is what we're seeing. So, so who in your life knows that you love Jesus and for some reason they still like you? That's a person of peace. Someone who knows that you really like Jesus, they don't, but they're like, Let's hang out again. You're my friend. 
I mean, I meet people all the time. We meet people at the park, meet people at Starbucks, walking around our neighborhood. I mean, the moment, man, I, I, I just try to get to Jesus very quickly. Not in a weird way, uh, but I just try to tell them, you know. It happens pretty quick just for me because it's like, hey, what do you do for work? That's all people care about. I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. It's like, at that moment, I'll show you if someone's a person of peace. <laughs> like, at that moment, some people are like, a pastor? Tell me more. I've had, at the park, talking to a dude for 10 minutes. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, that's wild. Like, that's, I mean, I've never, like, no, like, cool. Oh, I got to go. It was just like, I'm like, okay, man. I mean, I, I, so, so I'm not saying, I'm like, well, forget you. I don't shake my sandals off of them. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Um, but, but I, I was like, all right, man, this guy, this guy knows I, I and, and hopefully my identity is not wrapped up in being a pastor, but ultimately as a child of God and um, that I love Jesus. And as, as they hear the gospel, this guy may be offended because he's got baggage with religion. I do want to be quick to explain the gr- gospel of grace. So, so when people go, uh, usually the second question is, why are you a pastor? The answer is, oh, God's grace is too good. I just want to tell as many people as I can. That's my answer. It used to be like. Well, you know, when I was in high school, it's like, no, 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 I need one sentence about Jesus' grace and love that's going to, you know, and if he still walks away after that, okay. But people are peace. People of peace are people that know you love Jesus. They've heard the gospel and they still want to hang out with you. Pursue these people. Love these people. Bless these people. Serve these people. Because here's the thing. I believe that they see Christ in you and God's doing a work in their souls. He's, he's, he's at work. You're not. He's literally saying, show up to homes, say, hey, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. If they shut the door, just keep walking. He doesn't say, bang on that door, kick it in, sit them down and tell them about the kingdom of God. He's like, keep moving. But there are going to be people that receive you and go, tell me more. I disagree. Tell me more. I hate what you're telling me. Tell me more. That's a person of peace. So we want to first pray for these friends of ours, build relationships and friendships with these people of peace. And I really do want to be clear. These are friends. They're they're not projects. This is not to, to again, earn brownie points. I was talking with a buddy of mine. He's from another church, mega church, and and they kind of just got on this like missional thing. But they, they have a I'm not my awful. Um, they, they call them one lives. He's like, hey, who's your one life? It's like, what? He's like, you know, like your non-Christian buddy. I was like, you mean like my friend? Yeah, well, we call them one lives at our church. I'm like, what? What is that? Like, do they know you call them one lives? Like, this is just weird. He's like, well, we all have to have one one life. I'm like. This just is so goofy. I mean, maybe there's some good hearts behind it. But I'm like, they, they, they're friends. Like, Jesus didn't have like, oh, here's my one life, buddy. Jesus was friends to sinners. He was friends of the prostitutes and tax collectors. He didn't see them in like the one life category. Whatever. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I'm, I, I don't. But, but please hear me. If you don't love these people, they know. They I mean, they can see through your religious garbage. If you think that you're going to earn more love from God, or hear me, more love from your pastors, 
by being missional, by engaging with your neighborhoods, they're going to know. Because we all know. We're all pretty suspicious people. I know if you're building a relationship with me for a certain reason. These are our friends. And the only way we can love people well is by understanding how loved we are by God. You, you cannot love people. That are, I mean, people are different than us. But if you get the love of God, man, you will love people well. So, um, third, we, we've got a couple things. Third, um, invite them into the Christian community. This, is, this has been huge for us because all I ever knew about evangelism and mission, you know, being missional was just kind of be the solo ranger. Just kind of go out there and, and be on your own. So I joined when we moved down to San Diego two years ago. I joined a Vavi kickball league. I didn't know anybody down here. I didn't have any non-Christian friends. I didn't have any friends other than church people. Um, so I was like, I'm going to just join a Vavi kickball league. And they met at the park and they drank a ton of beer. Um, and I was like, okay, this is wild. Um, but, but I was all by myself and it was incredibly unfruitful. It was incredibly unfruitful. So, so even before I jump to the next thing, if you don't have non-Christian friends, um, get a life. Like, do something fun. Like, have a hobby. Um, join a kickball league. Join a book club. Join an art class. Jo- and not a Christian art class. Please, Jesus, don't do that. Don't join a Christian basketball league. Do not join a Christian... Unless the basketball league has been saved by Jesus, it's not a Christian basketball league. Um, but, but even if it is, don't be a part of it. Because we, Ed Stetzer said... Um, We've done an incredible job of building a Christian bubble of protecting ourselves. But the only problem with that is God's mission is outside the Christian bubble. And in my mind, this may be more dangerous. I don't know. Um, Don't join Christian stuff. Like, Like, man, jump into things that are already started. Go to the same restaurants. Be intentional. My wife and I try to go to the same restaurants over and over and over so we can build relationships with our waiters and waitresses. And when we tip big, we even eat less so that we can tip big. Like we, when, they, when we sit down and we like get like waters and we bring out the coupon, they're like, oh. And then we tip them so big, they're like, I'm down with this. Like, like I, I want this. The other day, my buddy Andy and I were at Kensington Cafe, which is, again, right across the street from our house. Um, the lady who was in there, she was kind of bitter at us because I guess last week we went in and we were going to get breakfast, but we decided just to get coffees. So the next week, um, just a few days ago, we were in there and she, she's at the, she's at there. She goes, are you guys going to be eating breakfast? We're like, yeah, we actually, yeah, we're going to grab back breakfast. She's like, are you sure? Not just going to get coffees this time. I was like, holy smokes. Like, no, like, oh gosh. So we sit down and immediately here, here's, here's the gospel in action. You could tip based on performance, or you could tip based on how much you've been loved by Jesus. I love when we have crappy service at the restaurants. Because when we tip big, the grace of Jesus is magnified. If they have impeccable service, they're, they're expecting a big tip. But when she speaks rudely to us, it's like, ha we got a cool opportunity right now. So we, we weren't like being goofy. We had to actually read the Bible. We were talking about some stuff. Um, and, and, and we, uh, 
Check comes out. It's 30 bucks. The food, I think she was so pissed at us that the food actually didn't come out. We only had one hour and our food didn't come out. So we had to tell her, hey, can you please just put it into go boxes? We have a meeting to go to. We've got to roll. She's like, sure. Like, just like, oh, I was like, oh my gosh. We tip her huge. I accidentally left my car keys on the table. Had to go to a meeting. I come back. I was like, hey, uh, I left my car keys. Gives me the car keys and goes, thank you so much for that tip. Cool. So we're, we're building consistent rhythms with people. We're being intentional, ultimately, to show them Jesus. She saw our Bibles on the table, and everyone knows Bibles. Christians tip less than... That's just awful. So anyway, I'm on a tangent. But um, so, so, so get out. Don't be in Christian clubs. Invite the non-Christians into the Christian community. Do not be a solo missionary. This is not the way God designed us, and this is not the way he designed his church to be an image of who he is. John 13, Jesus says, The world will know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other. You can't love each other by yourself as a solo missionary. John 17, Jesus is praying in his high priestly prayer. And he says, Father, let them be so united that the world knows that you sent me. Think about that for a second. The church being so united, loving each other so much that when people walk into a room of Christians hanging out, they go, I think Jesus was sent by God the Father. I chewed on that for a while because I'm like, eh, maybe that was a typo or something. Um, here's why I believe it's 100% true. Because a group of men and women who do not look alike, a group of men and women from different backgrounds, a group of men and women who don't have too much in common, Loving one another well is a miracle. It, it just is. I mean, how's your workplace? You got clicks of just awesome community love and kindness and generosity? You don't. And the ones that look like it, wait till you get in and hear them talking crap about each other. Everyone knows that's what happens. Even the fake friendships and fake, fake oh, this is so cool. Get in there. Talk with them. You'll find out very quickly. I can't remember. Some, it was like one president or somebody said, you want to find out uh, a woman's fault, praise her to her friends. I believe that's true of human nature. I believe that's, that's not even a verse, but I believe Jesus would have said something like that. Because that is sin. A community of trying to boost each other above, stepping on heads as gently as we can to get to the top. They walk into a room and see men and women loving each other well. It's a miracle. And they will know Jesus is real. They really will. So don't be a missionary all by yourself. Bring them in. And the way we do this as a church, we throw a ton of parties. We party a lot. And the reason why we party a lot is because Jesus partied a lot. Jesus' enemies called him a drunkard and a glutton. Have you ever been accused of either of those? Then you don't look like Jesus. I'm, now hear me out. Very clearly, being drunk is sinful. Very clear. Being glutton is sinful. But oh, I want my enemies to call me the same things they called Christ. We get confronted probably every two months. Some religious person really angry at our church. You guys talk about alcohol too much. Okay. 
do you believe alcohol is sinful? No. So you're, you're confronting us on something that you don't think is sinful. Well, it could be sinful. Everything could be sinful. We call men and women out who, if, if they drink too much, we sit them down and confront them on their sin. Absolutely. Like, that's not, that, that's not what we're just like, oh, it's a free-for-all. But we throw parties so that we can bring men and women into the community. So, so I have a document on my desktop, reasons to throw parties. And I have every month of the year and reasons why I can throw a party at our house for every single month. August is the only month that there is not an official holiday. But there are birthdays in August. So we throw parties every month of the year. And we invite our friends in. St. Patrick's Day, we threw a party at our house. My wife and I, it was at our home. We aren't taking the, the, the brunt of all of that. We're not like, oh, it's going to cost $300. I tell Stallone, Stallone, you bring a 24-pack of beer. Hey, you, we need food. Like, we spend probably the least because we're asking everyone to pitch in and bring your friends, bring good food, bring good drinks. Guy at Starbucks I met, Tom, he's in his 50s. I invited him to a bunch of our parties, my son's birthday party, my, anything we have, the welcome home, you know, our new, we're here, come here. I just make up parties. Um, St. Patrick's Day party. I invite him. He finally shows up, finally shows up to a party. And what he says at the end of the party, he's there only an hour and a half. We're primarily young. He's the oldest dude for sure. He walks out. He goes, hey, can I talk with you? We walk outside. He goes, that was the most fun I've had in a very long time. Thank you for inviting me. The goal at that party is not for me and Tom to sit there and talk the entire time. The goal is for me to go, hey, Tom, have you met Eric? Hey, Tom, have you met my wife? Hey, Tom, have you met Beth? Hey, Tom, have you... I want him to see the brothers and sisters loving each other. And when he goes to the cooler and goes, this is the best beer, man. It's a win in my mind. It's just, it's a cool thing. So I, I want to wrap up. So we're inviting people into the Christian community. In my pride, I used to be the solo missionary because I thought I was awesome. I thought I needed to hide non-Christians from the family. You know, it's like the awkward, like, Ugh, I don't want you to meet my aunt. Here's the thing. Let them meet your aunt. Let them meet your crazy sister who you're always like, hey, let, me, let me tell you what she meant by that. Um, because families are messy. They're messy. And bring the messiest people in because grace attracts messy people. And if you don't think you're messy, God help you. And I didn't think I was messy. I thought, oh, I just kind of keep them away from the family. Once they get saved, I'm like, ha-ha! Look at these guys! Your new brothers and sisters. Joke's on you, bro. What I do now is go, look at this mess, man. We love each other. We're sinners. We're awkward. And Jesus is king. Like this, I want you... And, and people are so free to see just a bunch of awkward people together hanging out, having fun. Because everyone is. And they get to like just kind of relax a little bit. They don't, have to, they don't have to wear the suit and tie and kind of put on their best foot, foot forward, you know. They're like, you guys, like a, you guys invite a dude like that to your parties? I'm cool here, man. I'll tell you what's going on, really. And, and, and the main goal in our evangelism, in our missional living, is defying expectations. So the reason we have beer isn't just because we love beer. It's because beer to non-Christian goes, wait a second, I thought you guys were Christians. We are. Oh, okay. You know what step two is? I believe that goes on in their minds. 
Maybe I don't know what Christians believe then. Tell, I thought I knew what Christianity was all about. But I must not because you guys drink beer. I must not because you guys have fun. Let me tell you about our King. Let me tell you about Jesus. So the last one I'll finish on is, is know the gospel. I don't have a ton of time to unpack it. I've been unpacking it throughout the whole morning. But if you yourself cannot articulate the gospel of Jesus, the good news that he came to rescue you and that we're saved by grace alone, not by anything you do, but only by what he's done. If you can't articulate that, don't expect anyone to get saved. I mean, they cannot believe unless they hear. Having fun parties is great. But no one's going to walk out of that party and go, I'm saved now because they had good beer. They may go, I need to know more because this was different. This was cool. I want to hear more about this Jesus guy. But you have to be able to articulate the gospel. Your pastors are here. Your leaders are here to help you in that. Don't be afraid to go, I've been a Christian 10 years and I don't even know how to explain the gospel. Don't, that's a mark of maturity, being able to go, hey, I'm, I'm not as far along as I thought I was. Be able to articulate it. I was at Skid Row passing out sandwiches before I was saved, just doing my religious duty, uh, hoping to earn way, my way to God. And um, the girl who I was walking with, um, she, she hands a sandwich out to the guy and goes, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And all night, no one wants to hear about Jesus. They just want the sandwich. This guy goes, yeah. She's like, Brad, you do it. I was like, what? She's like, I was like, no, you, you asked. We're like getting in an argument in front of the homeless guy. We just gave a sandwich to it and asked if we could share the gospel with So I go, no, 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 you're doing it. She's like, um, Jesus, he, uh, he's, yeah, he's good. And he saved me. Do you want to be saved? Like, like. Be able to articulate the gospel. You need to know it so that you can proclaim it, and you need to know it so you can proclaim it to yourself as well. Please do not hear this sermon as another means for you to grow in your righteousness towards God. This is not a way that you can justify yourself. I know I'm so loud. I yell at the kids at our church too. I'm sorry. Oh, buddy. Um, But you need to be able to preach the gospel to yourself and you need to be able to be in community when others are preaching the gospel to you as well. This is not something we tack on to the Christian life. If you lead someone to Jesus, I don't know if there's anything better in the world, but but God doesn't have a bigger smile for you. His smile is dependent on the cross of Christ for you. It is not dependent on you being an effective missionary. It is a privilege to be a missionary. It is a privilege for us to be able to proclaim the wonders and grace of Jesus Christ. I'll finish with one quick story. One of the gals we met at the park, um, they had a young daughter we, we hung out with, and um, we, we, we say hi to her at the park. We're talking with her, and after five minutes, she has no idea. She didn't ask the question, what do you do? After like five to ten minutes, she's like, hey, do you guys like ever want to come over for dinner? I'm like, uh, Yes. Like, we'll be there. Let us know when. I, in my mind, I'm like, she must be on mission, too. It's going to be funny when we show up at dinner and we're like, oh, we're Christians, too. We show up at dinner. They were not Christians. I was very clear. And it comes out. I'm a pastor. And it's like, oh, no, hide the booze. Um, and I'm like, no, like, I'll take one. Um, and, and so we start building a relationship with this couple. 
The guy said he's Christian. Um, she definitely knows nothing about Jesus. So what we do is we go over, we, we eat dinner at their home. We have them over for dinner at our home. We invite them into our community during that time. Our church was gathering, you know, like as community groups. We're transitioning to missional communities and all that fun stuff. Um, but we had things at our house on Sunday nights. And one day I see her at the park on Monday. She's like, hey, I saw a bunch of people at your home last night. I'm like, yeah, our church hangs out. We're a family. We eat meals together. Have a good time. She's like, can I come next time? Sure. Like, okay. You know? So she comes. She, her and her husband and her little daughter, they come. They, they just start coming. They're hearing the gospel over and over and over. Four months down the line, we're at the park hanging out. And, and, and the, the gal goes, hey, I'm, um, I'm trying to tell my coworkers about Jesus. What would you say in this scenario? My wife's like, you're a Christian now? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's where I would go with that. Again, like, like we didn't do anything cool. God's at work in her heart. He wants her saved more than we ever could. These are the men and women that God is preparing for us to encounter and love and serve. She's a Christian now. And she's sharing her faith in making disciples without ever needing to be commanded because that's what she saw. We shared the gospel with her and made her a disciple and she just, oh, I have to do that too. We didn't say, hey, you need to start sharing your faith. We didn't know she was a Christian. <laughs> but she's doing it as a response to the, she wants people to know about the grace of God. These are the men and women God's preparing for us to encounter on a daily basis here in San Diego. And the hero of that story is Jesus. It's his grace that he would use a couple like us to time the, you know, everything right, that we're on the swings right next to them when they're on the swings. And they, it's him. He's so good. He's so gracious. This is the message that we proclaim. His grace, his grace, his grace. Let's pray. Um, Father, you are, you're kind to us. Your kindness, it, it leads us to repentance. Um, and God, I know that in this room, we need to repent. Uh, we need to repent of our uh, self-righteousness. God, for the men and women in here who, who do not love non-Christians because they think they're better. Lord, I ask that they would turn to you right now. They'd be refreshed by your good news this morning. That you didn't save them because they're awesome. You saved them because you are Lord. Father, I ask that you lead us into repentance for the men and women in this room that feel like they've got it. They're, they're the effective missionary and therefore you're happy with them. Father, I ask that they and me, myself included, would turn to you now and see that you are happy with us because you crushed your son instead of us. You are happy with us because we've been united with Christ Jesus. You are happy with us because we are your children and we are no longer slaves to sin. You've transferred us into your kingdom, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In your beautiful name, amen.